Let me lead us in prayer um, as we turn to God's word, and then I'll read Psalm 125 again for us. Heavenly Father, we pray, please, that as we turn to your word, uh, we thank you that you have spoken to us by your spirit through your word, and we pray, please, that you would speak to us this morning by your spirit. Please, would you build us up and strengthen us? Please, would you give us perspective? Please, would you remind us of what is real and what is true? And would you build us up and strengthen us in the faith? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 125. If, if you've got a Bible and uh, would like to turn that up, you're welcome to do so. Psalm 125. And let me just read it again. It's a short psalm. A song of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hand to do evil. Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. Peace be on Israel. Do keep that open if you've got it in front of you. Well, a good field trip, a good school outing can be a really worthwhile exercise. I, in truth, I was struggling to remember a good field trip from my uh, school days, plenty of average ones. Um, but a good field trip can be really, really worthwhile, not just uh, uh, reading about animals, but getting to see animals in the zoo. Uh, not just uh, learning about stars from a teacher, but actually getting to see stars through a telescope in a planetarium or something like this. Uh, not just uh, hearing about history, but going and exploring history and finding out about it in person. Well, Psalm 125, I think, is a bit like a field trip. Uh, the place is Jerusalem. You see that from the first two verses. Uh, we're on Mount Zion, we're in Jerusalem. But what kind of field trip is this? If you like, what subject is being taught? Well, at points along the way, this is going to feel like a geography field trip because we're going to be learning about the lay of the land around Jerusalem and how that's significant for the city and the safety of the city. So there'll be geography there. At points, it's going to feel like a politics field trip we're going to visit the palace and learn about the king in Jerusalem and what he's like. But really, Psalm 125 is a faith field trip. In other words, its primary purpose is to teach us about faith, about us and God, to remind us about why it's so beneficial to trust in the Lord and to encourage us to keep living for him, even though we may feel outnumbered. So if you like, um, pack your bags, uh, let's get on the bus, let's go to Jerusalem, and let's learn from this psalmist as he guides us on our field trip. Well, the first uh, stop off is, if you like, a viewing point, because the psalmist wants, us to, wants to point out to us the lay of the land around Jerusalem. Um, if you've got it in front of you, have a look down at verses 1 and 2. 
See what this says about the lay of the land around Jerusalem. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. Before we get to the lesson about faith and God and us and what, what God has to say to us, the psalmist first draws our attention to two aspects about the lay of the land. Firstly, he points out to us and reminds us that Jerusalem is on Mount Zion, on top of a great big mountain, a great big unshakable, immovable mountain. It's been interesting seeing the change in Newcastle County down over recent decades. I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, it seems that a few decades ago, it was, it was all arcade shops and sweet shops and joke shops and that type of thing. It seems to have gone a, undergone a transformation. Now it seems to be all posh coffee shops and posh restaurants. It's changed and it probably attracts different kind of people. The place has changed but of course, there is one thing that has stayed the same right throughout the backdrop, the backdrop, the mountains, the more mountains in the background, always there, immovable, strong, steadfast. That was Mount Zion too. Strong, steadfast, immovable. Throughout all of Jerusalem's history, throughout all its different kings and different eras, there was Mount Zion on which Jerusalem stood, steady, firm, unshakable, immovable mountain. That's the first thing that the psalmist points out to us about the, the lay of the land. Uh, then the psalmist gets us, to, if you like, to look a little bit further afield and to look out at the mountain surrounding Jerusalem. We've got a picture of this, in fact. Um, here you can see up at the top this, all of the different mountains surrounding Jerusalem. Uh, these mountains hemmed Jerusalem in, it protected it. Um, I guess they, they, they made Jerusalem the ancient equivalent of Fort Knox. So you think of any uh, attacking army, they would have had to navigate this whole mountain range, first of all, and then they had a literal uphill battle even to, just to get to Jerusalem. So as we think about the lay of the land around Jerusalem, and this is significant for the lesson about faith to come, we realize that Jerusalem really was a very, very safe place to be. So the psalmist, on his pilgrimage to Jerusalem, um, on that journey may well have felt uptight, uh, always on the lookout for robbers and bandits, but now that he's in Jerusalem, well, he's as safe as he can be his shoulders drop, his heart rate slows. He can relax because he's in somewhere which is as safe as anywhere on earth. He's in Jerusalem, a great, on top of a great big unshakable mountain, surrounded by great big unshakable mountains. Now, remember, this isn't just a geography field trip. This is a faith field trip. And the psalmist teaches us about the lay of the land around Jerusalem to teach us something really important about us and God. Because he says to us, if you trust in the Lord, then you are like Mount Zion. 
You are this great, big, immovable, unchanging mountain. I wonder if you saw that in verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. And not just that, he goes on in verse 2 to say, just as, the, just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds those who trust in him. And really, that is quite something for us who trust in the Lord. Because he's saying to us, if you trust in the Lord, then you are a great, big, immovable, steadfast mountain, just like Mount Zion. And you are surrounded by a whole range of great, big, steadfast, immovable mountains. You are surrounded by the Lord himself. And for us who trust in the Lord, I think that is an amazing encouragement. So often when we, um, as believers, look in the mirror, we can be just um, fixated on our sins, on our weaknesses, um, on our faults. We can feel very spiritually weak and vulnerable. Uh, perhaps we see the, our slowness to make progress in our faith. Or we've, we're reminded of the poverty of our prayer lives. Or our struggle to uh, rid ourselves fully of certain sins. We see our weaknesses. We can feel at those points a bit like this. Uh, 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 an old shack uh, ready to fall down at the first gust of wind. That's how we can feel those of us who trust in the Lord. One more big gust of wind, one more big temptation come our way, and it feels like our faith would just fall flat. But this psalm encourages us not to stare at the mirror for hours on end at our own weaknesses, but rather to direct our gaze towards God and to think about Him who makes us strong and Him who keeps us safe who surrounds us. Yes, our faith may be very, very weak at points, but the one in whom we trust is very, very strong. And just like the mountains surround Jerusalem, so he surrounds us, making us strong and steadfast in him. And I think that's really, really helpful for us to remember. So often we forget, don't we? That, in, it, that ultimately it is God who holds us tight, that it is God who holds on to us and sustains our faith. He is the one who protects us from anything that would shipwreck our faith. He is the one who draws us back uh, to himself time and time again, surrounds us with his love. Yes, we've got a role to play, absolutely. But he is the one who sustains and strengthens, protects and surrounds us that we might keep trusting in him. So whatever you might be going through um, these weeks, this summer, however weak you may be facing, know that the Lord surrounds you, that you are an unshakable, steadfast mountain because of him, surrounded by a whole range of steadfast, unshakable mountains, the Lord himself. Well, that's, if you like, part one of this field trip around Jerusalem, thinking about the lay of the land. But there's more to see, so we'll get back on the bus, if you like, and we'll go across the city 
to the, the palace. We're going to look now at verses 3 and 5, 3 to 5. But as we pile out of the bus, uh, the mood changes somewhat. Uh, you can tell that our tour guide isn't just quite as relaxed as he was at the viewing point. Um, we don't actually go into the palace. We uh, stand at a distance, out of earshot, and, and look at it from a distance. Because uh, the psalmist tells us that the current king is bad news. You see that in verse 3. If you've got it there, have a look at verse 3. The psalmist talks about the scepter of the wicked over the land allotted to the righteous. The scepter of the wicked over the land allotted to the righteous. What does that mean? Well, a scepter, that was like a, a decorated stick um, that, that a king would hold, a symbol of his authority and of his reign. And here we're told that Israel's scepter was being held, its crown was being worn by a wicked king. The scepter of the wicked over the land allotted to the righteous. We don't know who that king was. In truth, it could have been any number of kings. Israel had its fair share of very bad, evil kings. So we're told that the king in charge is bad. And then in hushed tones, our tour guide shares with us the corrupting influence that this king has had on the nation. We talk today about influencers on social media, people who've got clout in order, to, in order to shape how people think and direct what they buy. Well, in Old Testament Israel, the king was the number one influencer. Um, what the king did, the nation did. Who the king worshipped, the nation worshipped. If, if the king went bad, the nation went bad. You see that dynamic in verse 3 and 5. Uh, second half of verse 3, how, even, how under a wicked king, even the righteous might be tempted to use their hands to do evil uh, and turn to crooked ways, verse 5. Uh, one writer puts it like this. I think it's very helpful. Uh, when wickedness rules, believers who want to get on in the world are acutely tempted to use their hands to do evil, either to remove the wickedness by ungodly force or to conform to the wicked ways of the rulers, either through fear of persecution or ambition to get on in this world. And that was the impact of this king over Israel, this wicked king. It's as if our tour guide whispers to us in hushed tones, this king has been a disaster for this nation. But, he says with a smile and a glint in his eye, there is hope. Verse 3, what does verse 3 say? The scepter of the wicked, this line of bad kings, will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. In other words, he says to us on this uh, field trip, if you like, it's not always going to be like this. There's going to be a regime change. Evil kings are not going to rule over Israel forever because God has promised a good king a good king, good king who is going to lead the people in righteous ways, in worship of God, who's going to rule with justice, who's going to banish the wicked and bless the righteous. A better king is coming, he says. And really, verse 3 is the psalmist just expressing his confidence in God's promise 
that, that a king is coming, a better king is coming, a king that we now know is Christ. And trusting that a better king is coming gives this psalmist amazing resolve to keep on doing good. Uh, we see from verses 4 and 5 that many are tempted to conform to this evil king uh, and turn aside to crookedness and use their hands to do evil. But our psalmist is different. He still believes in right and wrong. He still persists in doing what's right. Have a look just at verses 4 and 5. He says, Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart, but those who turn to crooked ways the Lord will banish with the evildoers. And like so many of his countrymen, he still believes in right and wrong. He's not going to conform to wicked ways, but asks God for help. Why does he persist in doing good? Because of verse 3. Because he believes with all his heart that the scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. Because he knows that a better king is coming, one who's going to rule in justice, and that when he does, he will banish the wicked and bless the faithful. And so, even in that difficult scenario, he holds out for that coming king. And just as we close and come to the end of this field trip, I think this psalmist is an amazing example for us too. I think as, as those who trust in the Lord, um, it's very tempting to lose our distinctive edge, uh, to, to water down what the Bible says is right and wrong, to just give up on doing good and to give in to doing evil. Because, of course, everyone else is at it. Our rulers are, are at it. Um, our fellow countrymen are at it. It's just the air that we breathe, so easy to conform, uh, to adopt our ruler's um, approach to sexual ethics, to buy into our culture's obsession with self, uh, to follow our leaders with their loose relationship to the truth, just to conform to the rulers over us, to conform to their wicked ways. And the truth is that sooner or later, we will end up conforming to their pattern of living. Unless, like this psalmist, we trust that the scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. Unless we believe that a better king is coming who will rule in righteousness. So I wonder, do you believe in verse 5? Do you believe that Christ will come back to rule and that those who turn to crooked ways, he will banish with the evildoers? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is going to answer the prayer of verse 4, that when Christ comes back, he'll do good to those who, who are good, to those who uh, persist in living out their faith? Do you believe that? Because unless we believe that, unless we believe that there is this regime change coming, a better king will come, unless we believe that, we won't have the energy, we won't have the perspective to persist in doing good and to resist evil. We'll be swept along like everyone else and conform. So let's be those who, like this psalmist, believe in and keep being shaped by God's promise 
of a coming king. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Let's pray and ask for God's help to do this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the extraordinary uh, blessing that it is to be those who trust in the Lord. We thank you that you make us strong and steadfast like Mount Zion. We thank you that you surround us and protect us and hem us in like those mountains surrounding Jerusalem, that you love us and keep us. You make us firm and steadfast. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to be those who believe in the return of Christ and in his coming kingdom, that we might be so sure of it that we might persist in doing good and living for him, that we might refrain from doing evil, that we might have strength not to conform uh, to the ways of this world, but to be shaped by your king and his coming kingdom. Help us, we pray. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.